glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Psalm 32. Before we read that, how many of us would know by heart 1 John 1 9? You think you could quote 1 John 1 9? A few of you? 1 John 1 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I want to begin with that verse to kind of first and foremost uh, say what we should not believe about confession of sin. There are those teaching today. Some very popular, uh, pastoring large churches, mega churches, writing lots of books about 1 John 1 9 not being written to the believer. Uh, there are many today, including some independent Baptists, who have bought into this, this idea that 1 John 1 9 is primarily for the unbeliever when they get saved. If you deny you're a sinner, you can't get saved. Well, that's true. But may I say this, you can't go to God directly and confess anything until you first confess Jesus Christ as Lord, the glory of God and the Father, and put your faith in Him. You have no individual access to the throne of grace until you're saved first. Uh, I, can't, I can give you a number of reasons. 1 John 1, 9 is written to the child of God. May I say this, when Christ is your Savior, what He gives you as your Savior is perpetual, untold your sins are forgiven. Not a, not a confession booth. Not a confession booth so you can keep on sinning and confessing. What you have is the promise of God that all your sins are forgiven in Christ. So when you confess your sins as a child of God, you are acting on the promise of God that the blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient for all your sins. Amen? The confession of sins as a Christian has nothing to do with securing salvation. It has to do with securing fellowship. Staying in fellowship with God. The only way you wouldn't have to confess sin as a child of God is if you are not a s- sinful anymore. If you never sin after salvation, there's nothing to confess. Now, we know all our sins, as far as God is concerned, and our standing with Him have been removed as far as the east is from the west. That is in principle or in position. Our sins are forgiven for Christ's sake. But practically, we're still in a body of flesh, are we not? And we know that we can sin. John says in 1 John 1, if we say that we have no sin, we lie. And the truth is not in us. He didn't say if you say. He said if we say, and he included himself. How many believe the apostle John was a believer? And he said if we say we have no sin, we lie and the truth is not in us. He included himself in that statement. But then he said if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And again, he's writing to believers. He's writing in the context of fellowship with God as children of God, God being our Father. So I just want to say in 1 John 1, 9, the most well-known verse in the Bible on confession, many have ridiculed the teaching that we just went through from 1 John 1, 9, that it's for the child of God, and said it's nothing more than a Protestant confession booth, meaning a permission slip to just sin over and over. And if you sin, just go confess it to God and He'll forgive you. I hope tonight's message clears up the fact that that is not the biblical form of confession. Confession is not a license to sin. Confession is a means of maintaining fellowship with God because he saved us out of sin to a life of righteousness and holiness. May I say this? If you're saved, uh, sin is going to bug you until you get that matter reconciled with the Lord because that's not who you are. You're no longer, you're no longer a person that is a sinner. You've been saved to be a saint, and so any sin in the life of the child of God is unbecoming of the child of God. That's not who we've been called to be. Having said all of that from 1 John 1, 9, let's get our attention on Psalm 32. Psalm 32. And I would just I would advise you this. If you 
come across somebody that's teaching that about 1 John 1, 9. You just take what they say and test it against the Bible very meticulously and carefully because generally when men are teaching that once you're saved, you need not confess sin any longer, it's because there's sin they don't want to confess any longer. Does that make sense? That's generally what I found to be true. Some are deceived by that, caught up in something, but many it's a means of of saying, I'm in Christ and it doesn't matter what I do, God only sees the good in me and it's a it's a uh, it's a, a false doctrine. So beware of it. That's all I'll say. Psalm 32, verse one. David writing here says a psalm of David. Uh, it's called a, a masculine. It says verse one. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night, thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. Selah. Verse 5. I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin As I said before, I want to point out three things uh, from 1 John 1 and from Psalm 32 uh, that deal with the subject of confessing our sins to God. Let me give you this by just some context in the Bible. I found 19 different passages that deal specifically with uh, God's people confessing their sins. Uh, And uh, that's both Old and New Testament. So 19 different passages dealing with the confession of sin. We have three men that were known for confessing their personal sin in the Old Testament. So we have three times in the Old Testament prayers of confession of sin that were listed. These men would be Ezra, the temple builder, Nehemiah, the wall builder, and Daniel. Now, how many of us are still willing to say confession of sin is for unbelievers? I hope not. These men were saints of God, Old Testament saints who lived by faith, died by faith, And yet all three of them, all three men were very instrumental in the nation of Israel, though Daniel was part of that in captivity. So you have Daniel in captivity confessing his own sins and the sins of his people. Then you have Nehemiah, the wall builder, I believe is a direct answer to Daniel's prayer. Daniel prayed for his people according to 2 Chronicles 7, 14, and God answered his prayer. After 70 years of captivity, God raised up a man named Nehemiah to go back and build a wall. But before Nehemiah ever built a wall, you know what the first thing was he did? Confessed his sins and the sins of his people. Before he ever prayed God for a strategy how to build the wall, you know what the first thing was he did? Confessed his sins and the sins of his people. Meaning he got things reconciled in his personal walk with God before he tried to do anything for God. Before he tried to serve God and work for God, he got his walk with God aligned. So that's Nehemiah, a godly, godly man. So we have Daniel confessing his sins and the sins of his people. We have Nehemiah confessing his sins and the sins of his people. And then you have Ezra, the scribe and the priest who the Bible said prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it. His heart was to obey God, yet the Bible tells us he confessed his sins and led the people of God to confess their sins. This tells me as God was doing a work in the nation of Israel of revival and rebuilding, key to that was confession. 
And in our lives, if there's a revival and a renewal of fellowship with God and His blessing in our lives, it's going to hinge on how we respond to Him. If God and I do not see sin the same way, we're not going to have fellowship. Fellowship can be summed up in this, agreement. That's really what fellowship is. It's agreement with, with another person. When we have, and your fellowship with another person will be as, as deep as you have agreement with them. If, if you only thing you agree on is that your favorite color is green, you're not going to have a lot of fellowship, right? Uh, but with God, fellowship is agreement. And if there's a conflict with God over what sin is, meaning God is opposing it, God is reproving it, and we are defending it, then that's going to, hin- that's going to hinder us in our walk with the Lord. And so these three things out of 1 John 1 and Psalm 32. If you want to turn to 1 John 1 while you hold your finger there in Psalm 32, I want to go ahead and read Verses 7, 8, and 9. Of course, we just finished going through the book of 1 John on Thursday nights. So 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, the Bible says back in verse 6, If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Now, our walk has to do with our practical uh, actions, our decisions, the way we live out our lives. Verse 7, But if we walk in the light, if we walk in accordance with the revelation of God's Word, We walk in the light as He is in the light. We have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. That scripture makes it so clear. It's not our walk that cleanses us from sin. It's the blood. But it is our walk that guarantees our fellowship. Amen? Verse uh, 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, so in contrast to saying we have none, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Then he reiterates again, verse 10, If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. I I do believe this. I think one of the most difficult things for us to do as human beings is to acknowledge anything that might tarnish our reputation. And it doesn't seem to matter how low that reputation may already be, acknowledging I am guilty of something that makes me look bad in the eyes of man or God is something I have a hard time doing. We had a man this afternoon told us that he had goodness. Now, I think he knew he was being facetious. Uh, that's my opinion. But we asked him, was he, was he good? He said, well, I'm not bad. Wasn't that his answer? I'm not bad. And he wouldn't say he was bad until Jim and I said we were bad. And then he said, well, if you're bad, I guess I'm bad. He was willing to confess his goodness, but not willing to confess his badness. And at the root of that, of course, is pride. One of the things that makes David a man after God's own heart is you never find David when confronted with his sin defending himself. We don't find David being without sin. What you will find is I never find David when being confronted by God with sin in his life, him making excuses, as did King Saul, and that's how we find him in Psalm 32. So as we read just now, 1 John 1, 7 and 9, uh, brings us to the first point of our message, and that is the cause for confession. This is kind of elementary, if you would, but the cause for confession is the presence of sin. And may I say this, are we living in a world where there's sin present? Everybody awake tonight? That's an easy answer right there. Are you living in a body where there's sin present? 
You have a sin nature as do I. And when here's when the Christian sins. When the Christian sins is when I listen to my flesh and obey it instead of listening to the Holy Spirit and obeying Him. I have a question. Is it possible as a saved person to listen to your flesh and yield to it? Yeah, if not, we wouldn't have the commandment, neither yield yourselves instruments as unrighteousness. That's a decision we make. It's a choice we have to make. So it is obviously possible as Christians to yield our members as instruments of unrighteousness. You can yield your tongue to tell a lie, to save face, to protect yourself from some kind of penalty or punishment or retribution. You can use your hand to smite somebody. You can use it to steal or to commit some unclean deed. You can use your feet to go into a place that's going to allow you to sin. You can use your body to sin or to to transgress God's will in your life. It's possible to yield our members as instruments of unrighteousness but we've been commanded by the Holy Spirit of God not to. So when I yield my member as an instrument of unrighteousness, you fill in the blank what the unrighteousness is. You can use your tongue to use God's name in vain, but you are at free and at liberty not to do that anymore. So when you and I do use our liberty to obey the flesh instead of the Holy Spirit, that's sin. Wherefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is. Sin, James 4, 17. And I believe one of the things we have to do if we're going to understand confession is get some clear definition of what sin is. Sin is not doing wrong when I only had the choice to do wrong. Many times people say this, well, yes, I did sin, but you don't understand the circumstances surrounding my sin. How many of us understand that sin is sin no matter what the circumstances so, for instance, you have a grumpy old dad who is just an a bear of a guy and he's just hard to be around. And a child says, well, yeah, I disobey my dad, but my dad's grumpy. It's still sin to disobey dad. The only time it's not a sin to disobey dad is if dad's telling you to sin against God. Then you're not disobeying dad, you're obeying God. Amen? My point is this, it's still sin. Uh, sin is sin. Uh, it, it, it's not one of these things where it's, it's relative. Uh, when we transgress God's law, when we disobey God, you fill it in the blank again, it is sin. The Bible says sin is the transgression of the law. The thought of foolishness is sin. Wherefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. God goes to great lengths to define sin for us so that it's clear in our conscience what a sin is. It's not necessarily so difficult for us to define sin. What becomes difficult is owning it. When you sin, it's easy for me to say, well, of course that was sin. I heard you talking about so-and-so the other day. They weren't around. You were disparaging them by the story you told. You were backbiting. Isn't that easy to say about somebody else? But when I told the story, I was speaking out of concern. And so it wasn't backbiting. Now, don't misunderstand me. You may have to say something that disparages someone else if you have to tell something to protect another individual. But the fact of the matter is, it's so easy to lay the definition of sin on another person, but confession is not doing that. Confession is when I acknowledge it's me. I'm the one that has sinned. And so the cause for confession is there is sin present in our lives. And may I say this, to the child of God, one of the primary tools he gave you to conquer sin in your life and get it put off. One of the ways you put off, the primary way you put off the old man and put on the new is through confession, being honest with God about sin in our life. You'll never be able to put off the old man until you confess he's there. 
Amen? You're not going to put off lying unless you realize you got lying in your life. And so confession is key to this. This matter of transformation and sanctification is facilitated by confession. This is why I'll come back to this before we move on. It concerns me when preachers are preaching that confession of sin. These guys that are preaching this are saying confession of sin is not to be part of your Christian experience. There's no need. When you got saved, your sin was dealt with. You never need to confess sin again. Because 1 John 1, 9 is not for you, it's for the unbeliever. I'm going to tell you something, that is a dangerous doctrine. Because what that allows is to continue in sin instead of being the means of overcoming and being cleansed of it and getting that sin out of your life through being honest with God. And so then, the presence of sin, that's the cause of confession. But you know this, in the, in the life of the godly, the saved person, it's not just the presence of sin that brings about confession, but the product of sin. Look with me at Psalm 32, if you would. When sin is in the life of an unbeliever, unless the Spirit of God is reproving them of their need for salvation, it doesn't generally bother them. They can get over that pretty quick. You can train your conscience pretty quickly to get accustomed to sin. But in the child of God, sin is going to grieve you to death. You can't, you can't get over it. In the child of God, when you and I are quenching the Holy Spirit of God, David says this in Psalm 32, verse 6. He says, For this shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee. He said, This is what I've just said to you about forgiveness of sin. The godly are going to get a hold of this and understand this. So here's a godly man, David, praying about his sin. And listen to what he says in verse 3 of Psalm 32. When I kept silence. Now, the context of that is when I wasn't confessing my sin to God. When I was acting like there was no sin, I kept silence. When I did that, listen to what he says, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. You know what his sin was do, doing to him? It was grinding on him. He said, I was quiet. I kept silence. Instead of telling God I've done wrong, I just held it in. I acted like I had done nothing. I kept it to myself. I didn't confess this matter to God. But when I did, there was an internal roaring, a a moving inside of him, almost like the roaring of your innards because you're troubled. How many of you know you can get an upset stomach through stress? I believe that's part of what he's dealing with. How many of you know sin in the life of a Christian can ruin your health, your physical bodily health? Envy, the Bible says, brings about rottenness of the bones. Someone said, do you really believe that? I do. You cannot disconnect how interwoven spirit, soul, and body are. And as a child of God, when you have sin in your life, it's tearing up at your conscience. The Holy Spirit of God is saying, this isn't right. This isn't right. And you're worn out on the inside, wrestling something, and your bones wax old through the roaring inside of you. David said... I was declining in physical health because of the sin in my life. I kept silence. And so then there was guilt. We we understand that in the context of this. Verse 4, for day and night, listen to what he says, thy hand was heavy upon me. There was a heaviness on David, a depression of his spirit because the hand of God was on him. His conscience before God was troubling him because he had not obeyed God as he should. And it troubled him. May I say that? The unregenerate person, they don't get troubled over God's heavy hand. Amen? But the godly person does. Because God put a new nature in you. He put a new desire in you, a new heart in you. And therefore, we find David here, a man justified by faith, is what Romans 4 says. That David was justified by faith. And here's a man that says, When there was sin in my life, day and night, thy hand was heavy upon me. 
the, the grief and the guilt that comes with the responsibility that I should be obeying God and I'm not. I should be serving the Lord and I'm not. There's some things that I'm not doing that I ought to be doing. And the hand of God was heavy on him, pressing him down, saying, when are you going to get this right? And so then it brings guilt in the life of the child of God. It brings grief in the life of the child of God. And because the conscience is not clean and there's guilt and grief that brings guile, meaning I am not... I'm not being honest and right. I'm hiding something. What David's saying when I kept silence. When he should have been saying, God, you're right. I have sinned against you. I've done you wrong. He said it was eating on him. And so the cause for confession is the presence of sin, but not the presence alone, but the product of sin. The wages of sin is death. May I say this, while you'll not lose your salvation as a child of God, we've dealt with in 1 John A child of God can sin to the point where the Bible says there is a sin unto death. Some die of illness because of not getting things right. We use that term, getting right with God, meaning going to God and saying, you told me to do this and I didn't do it. You told me not to do this and I've been doing it. And it is weighing, we'll say this, it's weighing what on my conscience? Heavy, that's the hand of God. Weighing heavy on the conscience, the Spirit of God reminding you, you've got this activity in your life. You've got this attitude you're holding in your heart toward that person. And this is the Scripture. And He'll bring verses to your mind where He's reminded you that is not what you're supposed to be doing. You're doing evil. And I didn't save you to do evil. And it'll weigh heavy on you. Any of God's children have no joy simply because of the guilt and grief and guile of sin, having an inward consciousness that is not consistent with their outward conduct. And so we live with that heaviness. David said, you know what, day and night. I remember a season in my life where I intentionally, I consciously, let me put it that way, consciously made decisions that I knew were not obedient to God. And I thought, I'll be able to do this and leave it behind me. It's a decision I've made. I know it would be right to do this and this and this, but the cost is too much and it's just not worth it. I'm I'm just going to do my thing. And there came a point where day and night my spiritual state had me so troubled that I couldn't think straight. It cons- My spiritual state consumed my thoughts. And by the way, that was with me doing everything I could to not have that be the case. I just wanted to look, move on, be happy, do things my own way. But because I was in disobedience to God... It caused such confusion and conflict in my conscience that I have been in Psalm 32, verse 3. I've been there. I don't know about you. Where my disobedience to God, yet my claiming to be His child, had me in such distress that I couldn't think clear. And all of a sudden, it wasn't just at night when I'm alone, but day and night trying to sit there and think, what is wrong with me? Why, why am I in the state I am? I ought to be, I ought to be free and happy. I'm doing what I want. But instead, I'm miserable. You know, it's a good thing to be miserable if you're in sin. If you can be in sin and not be miserable, something is out of order. If you're saved and you're in sin, you're going to be miserable. Because the chastening hand of God is going to be on you, whether it's external or merely internal. David said, the product of the sin in my life wore me down. Till day and night, he said, it it worked on me day and night. Uh, my moisture is turned into the drought of summer, he says in verse 4. Selah. 
The word sila there is stop and think about this. He was literally getting sucked the life out of him because of what was on his conscience that he would not deal with with he and God. That's a powerful thing, is it not? So why the cause for confession? The presence of sin and the product of sin. Number two, the characteristics of confession are seen in verse 5. What a good definition, a working definition we have in verse 5 of what sin is. It doesn't stop with the first line, what many think confession alone is. I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. That certainly is confession, but that's not all. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. So how many of you know there's a general acknowledgement, yes, I've done wrong? If I said to you now, how many of you have ever done anything in your life that would constitute the biblical definition of sin? How many of us would confess? Of course. Is there a difference in saying though, but you know, six months ago, I told a lie. Last week, I thought a very vile thought and I allowed that to stay. Or, you know, it was three weeks ago and Jeff, I was backbiting you. I just want to get that honest. Now, I'm not saying we need to confess our sins to each other. But here's how we often go to God. I've heard men pray this way, and I'm not being unkind to them. Lord, forgive us our sins that we've sinned today against you. That's not what David's dealing with. Lord, you know, we're, you know we are with us. Please forgive us our sins or any sins that we might commit. Please forgive us. Look, at you've already got forgiveness in Christ Jesus. That is yours anytime you want it. But the key to having it imparted to your conscience and to give you power in your walk is confession. And confession here is a few things. Number one, it must be sincere. It must be sincere. If you look at repentance in the Bible, and repentance and confession are inseparable. Repentance in the Bible, it has no deceit. It has no, no demands, makes no demands of the one that we are repentant toward, repentant toward God, no demands, no dishonesty, None of that, no, no beguiling. When you look at the prodigal son, he's the beautiful and perfect picture of repentance. And when he came to his dad, he made a confession. He said, I've sinned against heaven and against thee and am no more worthy to be called thy son. I have done you wrong, dad. Now, how many of you know the dad already knew that? Of course he did. So when the son came and said that to his dad, now they're finally in agreement. All this while, this son felt justified in his rebellion. He felt justified in his running. I don't remember even who it was, but some time back, I was speaking to someone, I said, do you think perhaps you're bitter? And I named who they might be bitter against. This person was opening their heart to me, was conversing with them, and they said, yeah, I think probably I am. And I said, do you think that you're justified in being bitter? And without hesitation, he said, yes. That's the devilish thing about bitterness. We always feel justified in it. In fact, that's the devilish thing about any sin. We feel justified in our sin. That hinders us from confessing it as God would see it. But the characteristics of confession, number one, it must be sincere, meaning confession of sin is not, Lord, I'm going to ask your forgiveness so I can get out of the, the penalty, but I still want the pleasure. You with me? There's pleasure in sin for a season, and this is something I find, especially in this period of time where there's a saturation of biblical teaching done out of context to where we're telling people God is just, He just loves you. He just fawns over you. He just longs to have you. He just wants you so bad that there's nothing about you that could offend Him. 
He's like your benevolent grandmother who just wants to have you over for cakes and cookies, so don't hinder God from being sweet to you. We have books on end being written that way today because it builds droves of people. Droves of people want to be told you're all right and soothe their conscience. But I'm going to tell you something that does not remove sin. There's still the problem in my conscience. I have disobeyed the God who made me and died for me on the cross. There's a conscience issue that nothing, you may put a salve on it for a little bit. And this idea of, 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 you just, you know, you just, God knows how you are and, and that's okay. That's not what we're dealing with. Sincere repentance, sincere, sincere confession takes God's side on the matter and it must be sincere. Meaning, when I confess my sin to God, I am doing so to get free from that, having turned my back on it. Proverbs 28, 19. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. By the way, that's, that is absolute. We may prosper at covering sin for five months or five minutes or five years or five decades, but we will not ultimately prosper when we hide sin. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and, what's the next word? Forsaketh them shall have mercy. How do you know when you've forsaken a sin? You quit defending its presence in your life. No defense. When I have forsaken it, forsaken it, I quit making a defense for its presence in my life. I don't find any repentant person in the Bible saying, Lord, now I sinned against you, but you know the pressure I was under. Whoa, now that's a defense. Of course he knows the pressure we were under, but he also gave us a way of escape, did he not? How many of us know that in every temptation there's a way to escape? Now, if I had a way to escape and I did not find it, guess why? Because ultimately I really didn't want it. Now, please, let's be honest tonight. This is this will help us. When there's sin in our lives and you're a child of God, this is a message to believers tonight. The Bible says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man, but God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. God's promised you there's a way to escape there. And I'll guarantee you that way to escape is found right between the covers of this book and found on your knees. How many of the prayer closet is a way to escape? Very difficult to sin while you're praying. Very difficult. If you're praying sincerely. Would you agree? Watch you and pray lest you enter into... Temptation. So here's what has to happen. Confession, we find, you say, where are we getting sincere from? David said, I acknowledge my sin. Yeah, I acknowledge my sin. He calls it what God calls it. He calls his sin three things here. Sin, iniquity, and transgression. He calls his sin the thing, same thing God calls it. He said, I acknowledge my sin unto thee and mine iniquity, my failing to do what I should, what was equitable, just, and right, God. I I, I acknowledged it unto thee, and I have not hid it. I have not concealed it with excuses. I have not concealed it with lies. I have been open and honest. That's sincerity. He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. We have a policy in our home that's built on Proverbs twenty-eight nineteen. When it comes to discipline of our children... If we have to pressure a confession out of them, it's still going to get chastisement, confessed or not. So if we have to say, you know, we heard you say this, and we heard your siblings say this, and did you do this? And they go, 
well, I actually saw you, so let's try that again. Did you do? Mm. Oh, they get mercy, right? Because they just confessed. They acknowledge, yeah, I just, I did, I lied, I disobeyed, I, I kicked my sister or my brother, whatever it is. No, a forced confession is not confession. Achan gave us a forced confession. You ever read that? Joshua chapter 6, I think, Joshua 7. Once Achan, the lot fell on his family, on the tribe, then the family, and then on him. Finally, Joshua said, make confession. And Achan said, yeah, I did it. But then he got stoned. I th- Hold on. I thought if you confess your sins, you get forgiveness. Did Achan ever forsake his sin? No, he finally confessed it when he had to, but not until then. Meaning it was not on his part of sincerity to say, I want to be free. I did wrong and I want mercy. It was, I will get by with this and hide it if I can. And so he didn't prosper. So confession must be sincere. Number two, it must be, and don't miss this, spoken. It must be spoken. That's why we're preaching on it tonight. We're talking about the mouth. Confession is not just, well, the Lord knows my heart. No, David says this, I acknowledge my sin unto thee. And mine iniquity I have not have, have I not hid. Then what did he say? I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. And as you look at confession, if you read uh, Daniel's confession, Nehemiah's confession, Ezra's confession, you read these confessions of sin in the Bible. You know what it was? Spoken. It wasn't just, well, God knows my heart. No, if we confess. Confession is a form of speech. It's what we say. So confession must be sincere. Confession must be spoken. How many of you know this? When, we can just be transparent enough with each other tonight when you're in prayer and you say, Lord, you know I'm not the Christian that I ought to be. Lord, you know I'm not the Christian I want to be. Lord, you know I would like to, you know, have, I would like to have more joy. And Lord, you know I failed you this week. Are we really confessing yet? Lord, you know that today when I had the opportunity to give that person the gospel, I backed out because I was afraid of what they would say and what they would do. And Lord, that was disobedience and sin because I feared that person more than I feared and trusted you. Now we're confessing sin. It may be something far worse than that. But the fact of the matter is, confession of sin must be sincere, it must be spoken, and then it must be specific. Look at Psalm 32 again. Uh, I acknowledge my sin, that's pretty general, unto thee, and mine iniquity, still in the singular form, have I not hid. But then what did he say? I said, I will confess my transgressions, plural, plural. David at one point said his iniquities were more than the hairs of his head. But he said, as he knew them, His transgressions, plural. Now we're getting specific, meaning he knew the places he had violated God's will in his life, and he said, I said, I will confess those, meaning I will name to God the things I've done in disobedience to him. Now, we do that to make us feel better so we can keep doing it, or we do that to overcome it. Ah, We do it because we've forsaken, and we want his forgiveness, and we want fellowship, and so... The cause for confession, the presence and product of sin, the characteristics of confession, it must be sincere, spoken, and specific. Number three, the consequence of confession. Back to Psalm 32. Psalm 32, verse 5, I acknowledge my sin unto thee, 
And mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. Here it is. And thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. And he says it again, Selah. He said, when I got honest and open with God, and I called my sin what he calls my sin, and I didn't try to hide it and pretend it wasn't there, but I was very open and honest with God telling him. Here's the amazing thing. You would think, knowing the mercy of God, this wouldn't be hard for us. But how many of you know that if you're like me, we often in our prayer want to impress God the same way we impress men? By showing him all we know, and I don't think any of us would be like the, the, the guy in Luke 18. We've read the text too many times to say, I'm going to be like that. Lord, you know I tithe and I do all these things. But fact of the matter is, many times the way we pray indicates we're trying to show God really how good we are. When in fact, he wants us just to be honest and open with him. He would have mercy and not sacrifice. I don't want you buying me off. I want to show you mercy. And that is both in salvation and it requires mercy to grow in sanctification. And so then uh, the consequence of confession is he said, when I did this, when I got honest and open with God, sincere, specific, spoken confession, he forgave me. Thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. You know what forgiveness is? Treating a transgressor as though they have not transgressed. Now, how many of us want those we've offended to treat us like we haven't? I do. I don't like guilt being, I don't like my, my disobediences being brought back up to me. But may I say this with God, the door of forgiveness swings on the hinges of repentance. That's God's way. God forgave the Ninevites for their violence and their godlessness, but it's because they repented toward God through faith. And God has forgiven us for Christ's sake of our sins against him, but as, as children. How I many you know this? There's a difference in a governor pardoning a prisoner on death row and a father forgiving a child who's disobeyed. Is there a difference in that? How many times does the pardon on death row have to happen? Once. How many times does a father have to forgive his child? Untold. And the father is not going to change his heart. That child is always his child. And so when we deal with confession in 1 John 1, 9, it's in the context of family, not enemies. Amen? Family, not enemies. And that's the context of this as well. David said, when I confess my sin, when instead of trying to pretend I didn't have any to confess, I actually got honest and sought God's forgiveness. He got forgiveness. Out of that comes fellowship. Out of confession comes fullness of joy. And out of that comes freedom to serve God. Look at Psalm 32, 1 and 2. He said, blessed, that's where the word fullness in the outline comes from. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. He doesn't say, blessed is the man who never sinned. That's just Jesus. (laughs) He said, blessed is the he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity. Impute means to transfer onto your account. May I say this, if you're in Christ... Your account is clear and clean. If you're in Christ, you have untold forgiveness in Christ. When we confess to the Lord, Lord, I have sinned. Oh, there's joy in that. So blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no what? Guile. Meaning you're not bearing a defiled conscience. No guile means I've been honest. How many of you know hiding sin is a rough path to go? It is. 
destroyed many a life. And for us, God said, if you'll come as my child and you confess to me, I'll forgive you and I'll cleanse you. I'll make you clean so that you have, not, you have no hypocrisy. You're not living a life in dark and a life in the light. No, you're in the light only. That's the idea of walking in the light. Now tonight, only the Holy Spirit of God knows how all this applies to us. It's maybe simply reaffirming of some things you already know and things you're already practicing. I believe this, the child of God that has not learned when God reveals sin in your life to confess it is a child of God. You're hung up until you move forward. And understand that confession is not your permission slip to sin, but your liberation from sin so that you can get cleansed of that thing, get a good conscience, and go forward with the Lord. And so then, the consequence of confession, forgiveness, restored fellowship, fullness, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, and freedom. And so then, our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ gives us access to the untold forgiveness of God. Number one, in eternity, we know we're already God's children, but practically while we live in this life, in a sin-cursed body, in a sin-cursed world, when God reveals to us there's the old man on you, we should not say, well, these verses on confession only apply to the lost people. God's trying to deal with us and bring us into fellowship. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Mm-hmm.